Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature this podcast is powered by Acast how are you doing there it's David it is podcast time you know the drill we're trying to learn a wee bit of economics together we're trying to make sense of the world and the world man man this week with the funny fella getting COVID, Johnny Boy, what do you reckon? I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> as as somebody on Twitter said, it's clear that RBG argued her first case successfully with God. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That is fantastic. That is really good. So how are you, Head? Are you good? I'm good, yeah. I've avoided the COVID so far, so I'm all right. I like when, you're doing the Irish and you're calling it the COVID. The COVID. Yeah, like the <laughs> RTE. Exactly. <laughs> How's things with you? Very, very good, very good. I tell you, I've been reading a lot this week about the origin of zero, John. Right. Of the number zero and how much debt we have to the Indians. Because the Indians came up with the concept of zero, right? It's the, I'm, I'm, I'm using it to explain why zero is very important in money and mathematics, obviously, but also in accountancy. Yeah. In the medieval age. So I've been going back and I've been reading a huge amount about where it comes from. And the interesting thing is that Aristotle. Yeah, good man. Our mate Aristotle. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Aristotle, <laughs> right? I've always thought a real great Dublin hard show's name would be Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, would go near him. Yeah, you wouldn't, would you, right? But anyway, Aristotle was very afraid of zero because zero constituted the void and infinity. Yes. And Aristotle was trying to make sense of the world, and he believed that we were at the centre of the world. Yeah. This Aristotelian idea, right, of the universe. And the reason, one of the reasons he hated the void or infinity was because infinity suggested we weren't and there was something beyond and beyond and beyond. Yeah, yeah, of okay. course. So the Greeks, who then gave their philosophy to the Romans, the Romans who gave their philosophy to the Christians, the Christians who basically ruled the world, our world, up until the Renaissance, all had a thing, again, zero, because zero was the void. Right, the infinity, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. However, that's where God lives. That's where God lives. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. in the void, right? <laughs> and that's, a, so that's the beauty of absolute God at one, because if they didn't accept the void, they had to accept God created everything. Right, okay. So there was no infinity. Our, our friends, the Indians, on the other hand, right. didn't have this hang-up. And Indians discovered zero and were allowed, played around with the whole notion of zero for centuries before they gave it to the Arabs. Okay. Because okay? the Arabs came with the Mughal Empire. 
You into see, I, India. Right, okay. I actually thought zero came from the Arabs, but... No, it comes from the Indians. Okay. Yeah. And then they gave it to the Arabs, and then the Arabs gave it to us in Sicily, right, in the port of Marsala. And the port of Marsala in, in, in Sicily yeah. sounds very Italian. Where is, where is that? It's on the very, very toe of it, looking out at Libya. Okay, right. Biggest port in Sicily in the old days. Yeah. Right? But Marsala sounds very Italian, but it's called Mars al-Allah, the mouth of Allah. Ah, okay. So it was, right. a, it was a, an Arab town, and Italian tradesmen and monks went down there to learn about zero. But the Vatican didn't want them to learn, so they do it in secret. And they brought zero back to Florence and back to the Renaissance towns. And then, of course, the merchants loved it because it allowed them to do double-entry bookkeeping and have ledgers with pluses and minuses okay. and minus values. So that's what I've been learning, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's mad. Your it's, head is mangled. My head it? is melted. If, if, if we could just go to McKenna's and talk about Leeds <laughs> and Dundalk's venture the other yes, night. Yeah, the other, yeah, yeah. They're like normal shit. Yeah, except I know. zero. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mad. I'm, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm, if, we're, if we're locking down again, I am going to be a ridiculous hermit by the crimbo. You'd be a mathematician by the end of it. Well, I don't know where I'll be. But anyway, <laughs> that's, that's my story. That's my story. Uh, but all is, all is good. Like, what can we do? Exactly, but that's the thing. There's nothing to look forward to. Apart the from... void. Nothingness. You see nothingness, yeah. There. Nothing becomes of nothing. <laughs> Speak again, Cordelia. <laughs> Except the one thing that we do have to look forward to is the budget. I hear. Well, we do, John. Listen. And I can't wait. Let's, let's, I know you can't. I know you're very, I know you're very I keen. I love it. I love it. I know it. you're very keen. <laughs> you've, got your, you've got your tax accountant hat on. Right? <laughs> I do. Before we do that, my man, America. Oh, yes. Your man with COVID, the yeah, election. isn't it great? But why don't we go to Bill Back? You know Bill, a professor of law, economics, a doctorate in criminology, yeah, the whole thing. Big brain. Big brain. Let's go and see what he makes of recent events in the States. Great. Now, this week, unfortunately, we had to admit defeat when it comes to Kilkenomics. We just couldn't go ahead with it. And you know what? The funny thing is Kilkenomics is not Zoomable. It is not something we can do online. It is basically, if you've been, you know the drill. If you haven't been, it is an intimate, friendly, social, chatty, witty, funny get-together in pubs and theatres, in the back of restaurants and churches. Frankly, Kilconomics would not do social distancing, number one. And number two, we couldn't put it online. So we decided to cancel it for this year, which was a real, with a heavy heart. But on the line from the States is a man who's been to every single Kilconomics, Professor Bill Black, the man who single-handedly, or at least some would say single-handedly, and not him, his <laughs> fans on the far side, brought the savings and loans debacle uh, into some sort of closure. And as the prosecutor put many white-collar criminals behind bars, he has been... An intellectual, how would I describe Bill? Actually, let me describe him. Let's just say, how are you, Bill? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. And uh, uh, everybody that uh, hasn't done uh, Kilkenomics should uh, please come when it resumes. And you'll see that Kilkenny uh, is a critical part uh, of the effort. And one of the reasons you can't Zoom it. Uh, Kilkenny is wonderful. The uh, settings, the venues are intimate, uh, it would be impossible to have 
uh, social distancing, uh, and they're critical to the whole fun of the event for uh, whatever group you put together. Come and see us. We'll be down in the Marble City, hopefully the 5th to the 9th of November 2021. There you go. Anyway, Bill, listen, talk to me about the United States. I want to talk to you first about President Trump getting COVID. How do you think this will affect the election or at least the next couple of weeks? Well, it'll affect the election process in dramatic ways. It's it's uh, actually quite unclear whether it will move things uh, very much in terms of the electorate. So what I mean is, of course, that uh, he can't do his thing. And his thing uh, is going in front of very large groups with no social distancing on inside events uh, that are perfect to spread uh, COVID. Uh, and, and that's just not going to work uh, in these circumstances. And he is a quasi-evolutionary guy. He's not a you know, conventional thinker. So what he does at these events is say something outrageous. And if he gets positive feedback, he says something more outrageous along the same lines. And if that leads to even stronger positive stimulus uh, response, he then you know, triples and then he quadruples down. And he works on these shticks, basically, and they become essentially a script of what works best uh, with his base. And they give him positive feedback, which he almost never gets, except from the sycophants in his, uh, you know, cabinet, who, who, you know, do a dear leader beginning. Uh, Oh, thank you, uh, President, you are the most brilliant person and you have transformed the world, you know, type of stuff. And even Trump, you know, gets that that has no sincerity, but his base has sincerity. And so for somebody who is just getting pummeled, like everybody senior who worked for him is writing a book about what an awful human being he is. And massive amounts of Republican elites are coming out and, and you know, the old elites are coming out and attacking him. So this is also super good for his psyche. And he won't get that. And he's somebody that gets very depressed and then he lashes out in those, uh, you know, tweet storms uh, that are infamous. And they always get him in trouble except with the base. So the base won't change very much. However, uh, American elections in key states, and you have to remember our process is not a national vote. It's an individual state vote. And then you get typically all of the electoral votes from that state. So tiny margins can make enormous difference between um, potentially, for example, losing and losing so badly you lose the Senate. You know, so the Democrats could could quite possibly uh, end up in charge of all three branches. And so the more there's a focus on the pandemic, and of course the U.S. has, with the possible exception of Spain, the absolute worst response to COVID, the highest deaths uh, per capita of any major nation. So the Trump campaign desperately doesn't want to be talking about the pandemic. This, of course, puts focus for at least a week on the pandemic, and we only have a few weeks left before the election. So in that sense, it could move people in, you know, 2% of the folks in what we call the key battleground states. And and that's really bad for Trump uh, in terms of elect- his electoral prospects. But it's interesting you say it's it's kind of 
it's personal for him. It's psychological. It's, 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 he needs the affirmation to keep the momentum of his whole campaign going. And this robs him of 10 days, 14 days of that. And that's significant. And it puts the focus on the worst possible issue. If people are thinking about the pandemic and the U.S. response to it, the Trump response to it, he's losing. But it's broader than the campaign. People have to remember, Trump sold himself as supposedly incredible business person, incredibly wealthy, incredibly successful. And as everybody has seen with the release of the tax returns, he's among the world's worst business people. (laughs) He's unbelievably terrible. Uh, And he just blows through other people's money. He defrauds people left, right, and center. And so it isn't just the campaign. He was never accepted by New York elites, by the New York wealthy, as one of them. And that has always graded on him. And so the release of these returns, again, doesn't hurt him very much with a base, but the, you know, the very few undecided, which is probably in the range of five to 7% of the U.S. electorate, if, if they move even slightly against him, he has the danger of not only losing, but losing very badly. And he's obviously mounting a campaign that if he doesn't lose by very much, he's going to try to throw uh, the election in disrepute. Uh, and contest everything and literally launch not a thousand ships, but 10,000 lawsuits. Bill, you see, you, you talked there about he was rejected by the New York elite. I've always been very intrigued by this because he is a man who understands rejection. Very, very much so. And therefore, he connects with people who have been rejected. And he speaks the language of people who've been rejected. And he therefore, let's talk about economics, speaks to an enormous constituency in the United States who have been rejected, who actually have felt rejection in their personal life, in their business life, in their daily working life. So it's it's an advantage almost to Trump. It's not an advantage, it's one of the intriguing mysteries of Trump, this understanding of rejection. Yeah, it isn't almost. It, in fact, is uh, an important part of uh, his advantage that everybody, you know, obviously in quotes, that matters holds him in almost total disdain unless basically they're using him to get rich, you know, and he's the easiest person in the world to con. Uh, you would love him in a poker game. <laughs> what, is that, what is that expression? You've got, what, two minutes in a poker game to figure out who the uh, who the idiot is. And if you haven't figured out who the loser is... The fool. If yes, you haven't figured the out fool. the fool is after two minutes, the fool is you. The fool is you. Uh, and he'll never fool, figure out that he is the fool. He could, he could never take that. But you're right. I grew up in Michigan. Among, these are my people. Michigan is one of those key battleground states that went very narrowly for Trump. Michigan never went, you know, it always went for Democrats, uh, huge union population historically, been devastated, of course, by what's happened to the U.S. car industry. And in particular, the, to the extent the U.S. car industry continues, jobs have moved overwhelmingly to what we call right-to-work states that essentially eliminate unions. And these are all uh, in and, the South and the Southwest, are they? Yeah, the, the uh, border states and the South, that's correct. So there are enormous number of people who have lost 
some degree economically, but also in terms of social status. And the thing they have left is this feeling of being screwed, being screwed all the time, being disrespected. Tom Frank, uh, you should have on. He has a new book about this, but he's done a whole series of books. So this is what he writes about. And I can tell you, I was, uh, you know, I came of age when George Wallace, a deeply openly segregationist uh, Southern governor, won the Michigan primary. Wow. Right. On the law and order nomination for the presidency on, well, on law and order where. It's 1968, isn't it? That's 1968. Yeah, well, that's a complete euphemism for race. Right. Precisely. Again, uh, these are my people. It's not that they are simply racist. It's that racism is one of the components. And if that gets teed up as the, the thing that's really energizing, then they go to the polls in record numbers where typically they're actually among the least likely to vote. And so you get that's when you get tremendous swings in the United States, when you get groups that typically don't participate and then suddenly do to a much greater extent. That was, of course, a large part of Obama's success. Black Americans are, you know, notoriously have relatively low voting rates over time. Now, again, huge reasons of racism and deliberate exclusion have produced this, but, you know, that was what Obama was able to turn around and that's what Trump is able to do. So you're quite right in to put it in, um, you know, only slightly vulgar terms. It is, and, and you have to understand that the base support is overwhelmingly a giant FU vote. <laughs> to whoever they're happening to. To, to whoever, all those, to all the all those quote unquote powerful people that uh, they perceive as looking down on them. Okay, so you were talking there about the culture war, the the FU vote that Trump is depending on, that's his base, the rejected people. Can you explain to me why he's so invested in the Supreme Court right now uh, and this this new woman that he's appointed, Amy Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett? Yeah, he hasn't appointed, of course. You can't appoint. You can only do so with the advice and consent of the Senate. Okay, so he's... Um, our, up, our upper house, as you might call it. But why is he so exercised right now about this? Because two things. One, his greatest opponent on the Supreme Court died and can no longer vote against him and issue these blistering dissents. But two, you said the base was the FU. That's half his base. The other part of the base, and there's an overlap, is evangelicals. And evangelicals, this is if you attend church more than once a week, basically. This vote goes 80% to Trump. And their most fervent goal is to outlaw all abortion and overturn what we call the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court uh, decision. So Republican appointees to the Supreme Court over the last 25 years have never said, I will vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. Professor Barrett, is a professor of law at Notre Dame. And she, as an academic, has been quite a movement activist as well. And so she's signed on to statements in which she's pledged, you know, and and hammered the court for failing to overturn Roe versus Wade. So there's no question, and it's it's a perfect opportunity just before the election to not just signal, but to deliver 
to the evangelical base their greatest dream. And Trump is in deep trouble in the polls. So this is like a miracle from his perspective, the death of the notorious RPG type of thing. And that's why they're rushing forward, even though, of course, they promised, promised they would never do this. But they're going to do a bill finally on, on this, on this the issue of America over the next three, four weeks. Can you call it? No, because you don't know turnout, and turnout varies enormously. You don't know voter suppression, and we have a terrible, I don't think in any modern Irish elections there's anything remotely like it. You have to understand we're in a country where many of our states, you can have, it's got to be semi-automatic, but that just means it takes a quarter of a second to pump around downrange at supersonic speed. Guys with long guns that are literal, what we give our soldiers to fight in Iraq and Syria. They're they're, they're AR-15s. They're simply semi-automatic as opposed to automatic. You can have extended clips. You can have silencers. So you can kill people silent, you know, relatively silently and such. And you can carry these openly. You can carry these openly with rounds chambered, right? At the polls, at the election office. Uh, at anywhere. Right now, they won't let you into the actual polling building, but who's going to keep you out? Also, if you have this kind of... <laughs> you know, uh, armament and such. So what they do, and there's a huge hundred plus year history of this in the United States, is this is aimed overwhelmingly at blacks. Now they'll extend it to other folks that they think will likely be democratic voters. And then they feed all kinds of false information that if you vote, you know, we'll send you to prison and, and things like that. And so until this year, there was actually a consent decree because the Republican Party had been caught so many times doing this witness intimidation, but that has expired. So there used to be a judge sitting on this consent decree that you could go to and say, look, they're up to it again. It violates your order. And that judge would instantly enjoin. Now you're going to have to start a lawsuit in front of judges who would often be hostile, you know, very pro-Trump hostile to uh, blacks and such. And it's just going to be an utter nightmare, plus Trump promising to, you know, saying he's going to unleash an army of uh, these lawsuits. And again, his infamous statement at the debate about the Proud Boys should stand by as if they were part of law enforcement. They're a right-wing terrorist organization, right, that has killed people, that stomp on people. In large numbers, and their huge numbers of them are ex-cops and ex-military. That's their wow. primary background. So this is Trump's private militia. And they instantly, while he was the debate was still continuing, tweeted out and adopted as their new slogan. Stand We're standing by. by. We're standing by. We are ready to go. So there are, um, you can see videos of them going after Nancy Pelosi. Big, burly guys bursting into doors, going up, trying to intimidate her. Again, I don't think you've seen anything like this in the Republic in a very long time. Wow. I mean, you're painting quite a dramatic picture for what could happen on the day. 
you understand that in America, somebody can walk into a Walmart carrying an AR-15 in which they have actually chambered around and have a massive overclip so that they, you know, that they can actually put 150 rounds and you can't do anything to these people. Wow. And that the president of the United States, when one of these folks who, by the way, was illegally in possession of such a gun because he was 17, decided to go from Illinois to Wisconsin and then killed two protesters and wounded a third. And the president of the United States not only praised him, but issued a directive to our, you think of this, our Homeland Security Department, that they were to issue positive comments. About him? About him. This, if you want to be generous, vigilante. If you want to be less generous, you would say murderer and terrorist. And do you know that there are videos from earlier in the day in which the police come to him and other people like him and give them free water bottles and say, we really appreciate you? And that after he shot three people with an AR-15, he then walked past the police and they did not arrest him or detain him even or question him. And he fled back to Illinois, which is a neighboring state, but is still a couple of hours drive. Bill, what can I say after that? Take care of yourself and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> well, I am in Minnesota as we speak, the place that probably was one of the vectors in terms of Trump and his group spreading COVID and attacking one of our local members of the U.S. House of Representatives for how dare she tell us how to run our country because she, as a young girl, was a refugee from Somalia. And therefore, of course, it can't be her country, even though, of course, she's she is a, a U.S. citizen. A, I'm not even a U.S. citizen, a U.S. congresswoman. Not just a citizen, a congresswoman, just reelected by a supermajority. Bill, let us leave it there. We will talk to you soon. Thank you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Jesus. Like, Bill's been at Kilconomics before and, and all the Every year. Every year. Every year. And he's fantastic. But Jesus, he was a, he was getting angry at the end. He was really exercised there, wasn't he? Well, or am I, I misreading I, that? No, I think if you look at you know, Bill was saying there that he came of age in 1968. Yeah, that was when he was about 18, right? And he thought that the politics of 1968 was a very severe year in the United mm. States. Bobby Kennedy's assassinated. Martin Luther King is assassinated. Yeah, you know, Richard Nixon wins the election against the background of the Vietnam yeah, War. Yeah, I think for people like Bill who've lived their lives on the liberal end of the American spectrum, it must be kind of terrifying to see what's happening. Yeah. Now, because he's lived a long time, he's seen things, he's probably of the view that, you know what, democracy is kind of precious and it's not as secure as you think it is. Yeah. And that's, I think, what he was trying to tell us. You know, it's a really interesting, I think I mentioned it to you before, a, a brilliant documentary on Netflix is from that period. And it's the story of Tricky Dick and the Man in Black, Richard Nixon and Johnny Cash. Oh, Check wow. it out. It's brilliant. I, I, I definitely, I will watch that. Yeah, I will and, watch that. And it all comes down to a single song at the end. And it's brilliant. Okay. Well, let's watch that. What else have we got, my man? So... Let's go back. Let's talk about the budget. Where are we going with this? What can the government do in the budget to, number one, help us out of the COVID pandemic and get the economy back open and running and humming again? What can they do in this particular budget? Well, John, the thing is that what they could do is signal to us that they actually understand what the dilemmas are. There was a great quote about leadership, political leadership, it's to understand the anxieties of the people and do something about it. That's what the budget should allow the state to do. Say, we have a vision. I fear this week we're not going to get that. Right. My sense is that budgets should be all about vision and that it's a statement of intent as to how you intend to run the country. Yeah. What actually happens is it's a bitch fight between people with no real vision and they scrap over how much was spent here and how much was spent there rather than saying, you know what? There is no budget constraint anymore because we're in this pandemic, mm, right? Mm. And the ECB has said, money is at zero. What do you want to do to the country? Now, I think, park the budget for a second. I think the most interesting statistic published this week in Ireland was a statistic that confirms that Ireland has by far and away the youngest population in the European Union, by far and away. Right. And this comes at a time when kids in Galway who went out on a session because they've nothing else to do, their college is closed. Think about it, right? They're in first year, their college is closed, <laughs> bars are closed, cafes are closed. Yeah, I've said, I feel really sorry for the first year. I feel really, of course, right? And then you've got some fella saying, bring in the army, right? Mm. So rather than vilifying our youth, we've got to remember... The youth are the future. They are the people who are going to pay our pensions, Johnny yeah. Boy, right? Yeah. They're the people who are going to build the country. They're the people who are going to have to deal with the United Ireland 
on the way towards it and manage it after it. Think about the challenges this generation have. Our kids, all countries, should be down on bended knee to have the sort of statistics we have. So in Ireland, 38% of the population is between 0 and 29. That's the highest in the European Union. That means that going forward, we will have this expanding population, right? These are the people who are going to run the country. Yeah. And our budget should say, we are not going to have as our budgetary constraint a figure, which is how much money have we borrowed? Rather, we're going to use as our main budgetary constraint our population, right? Yeah. And say, how are we going to deal with these? Are we going to build an infrastructure? It's the, are we going to build the houses? Right? Yeah. It's the potential income and productivity that the youth can can bring but to the future. You know, I mean, so it's just kind of setting them up to do that. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, think about a country like Italy. Italy is running out of people. It's running out of young people. Mm. Germany is running out of young people. If it wasn't for immigrants, the German population, the native German population peaked in 1972. Right? Think about this, right? Our population continues to grow. Now, this should be a cause of enormous celebration, right? All the creativity, the music, the art, startups, everything is going to be created by them, right? And what are we doing? vilifying them, you know, accusing them of being COVID spreaders, when in actual fact, a lot of their milestones have been taken away from them, Yeah, you know? But at the moment, in Ireland, the way in which we frame budgets is on a revenue versus spending constraint. Yeah. And at the end of the day, all economists start talking about this idea of, oh my God, we borrowed too much money, Right. Rather than looking at accountancy, national accountancy, which is only a snapshot of the economy at any one time of the year, we should be looking at the demographics and saying, okay, there's two things going on. One is we've this incredibly young population, so we've got to provide for them. Because our job, John, is to leave our kids a better society than the one that our mothers and fathers left us. That's a job well done. That's always the aim, yeah. So what we should do is rather than take the budget deficit, when interest rates are zero, we should take the structure of the economy, the structure of the population. And also we should say that youth unemployment now is 30% plus. Mm. That is an enormous amount of idle capacity in the economy. That means you can rev up the economy much, much greater than at any time in the past. And you should be aiming to get that figure down to 5%. Yeah. From 30 to 5, how do you do that? You begin the process of including the youth. Now, if you're in a pandemic and you can't open up shops and pubs and bars where lots of young people get part-time jobs, you've got to give them some other stake. Yeah. So if you've decided you've closed them down, they can't have jobs, what other stake do you have? Houses. This is what your daughter talks about. It's what my kids talk yeah. about, right? So use the budget to front-load house building. And the reason you've got to do that is Irish kids, if they're not happy with Ireland, they emigrate. Yeah, like we did. In much greater numbers than kids from other countries, Mm. okay? Because of the tradition and we speak English and we tend to be much more mobile. Now, the only downside to having a huge youth population is not creating society and the economy, giving them a stake in it, which pushes them out the door. Because we lose twice then. One, we lose their abilities. Yeah. Second, we lose the tax income that we need to tax from them in the future in order to pay for of lots course, of stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. And then you think about 
losing. Look, look at those kids in those first year students in Galway, right? That were yeah. attacked in the media, right? Think about the following. Think about how much it costs to educate somebody in this country. How much? Well, one way you can do it is you can take the cost per year of the Department of Education. Yeah. Right? It's 11, the yeah. 11 billion. A right. lot of money. Sure is. And you divide that by your estimate of how many people are in the education system. Okay. So your input is 11. Your output are the students. That you're, that's your education, right? Yeah. Now, if you do that, okay, let's take there's 60,000 people born here per year. So when those kids get to three or four years old, they start going to yeah. school. They do about 15 years in second primary and secondary school. Yeah. And then they do, let's say, another four or five years in college. Unless they repeat like you. Unless we had. As I always said, <laughs> I love the Leaving Cert so much, I did it twice. Anyway, but but think about think about the education system, right? Right? Let's say there's 60,000 people, maybe 50,000 people in the education system for 20 years. Yeah. That's at a very generous amount of people, right? So you take that figure, so multiply John in your head. Yeah. I'm working on it, yeah. 60,000 by 20. Yeah. Which is, what do you reckon? Sorry, are you asking me to do that? Yeah. So that's 1.2 million. Yeah, right. go on. Okay, that's the output. You divide that by the actual budget, which yeah. is 11 billion a year. You're talking about 800 grand per school. Yeah. A lot of bread. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of bread. And I know, obviously, the Department of Education say, well, you can't do it that way. But you got to start with some base yeah. faction, right? Yeah. Even if it was less than that, even if it was 70% of that, right? Still a lot of money. You're talking about 600 grand. It's cost the state to educate an Irish person from low babies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All the way up to they leave university. Yeah. If you lose those people, if those people emigrate, the cost is it's gone. astronomical yeah. to you, right? But if you create a society that allows young people to stay and you import other people's graduates, you're getting this huge investment that we've made and other countries have made, and it's free yeah. for us. Yeah. And then they become Irish. They're in the workforce. So you can see the huge, dramatic, the stakes are so high. And if those kids can't get a job now because of the pandemic, part-time job, what other stake do they have they have housing. So it really beholds us to create a budget that is entirely and almost exclusively based on building housing for young people. Mm. That's it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 